What is up, everyone? I hope you're doing great on this Tuesday evening. It is October 5th, and we are back for episode 219 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. Who are, who are we? I am Rafael Garcia, and this is Sharon Humes with me as well. And we got a lot of, to talk about today because this is a pretty big weekend in combat sports. We're going to look back to this past weekend and some of the MMA action that occurred. We're going to talk about Wilder versus Fury 3, which is a Saturday, a little bit about Duran Rodriguez and some other topics from there. But before we do that, let's go ahead and say thank you, as always, for taking the time to listen to this show. You can always find us across multiple platforms, first and foremost, MMARatings.net and .com. Both of those platforms are where you can find all of our main content. You can check us out on all of the podcast networks at Apple Podcast Breaker, Google Radio Public, Spotify at MMA Ratings, also on YouTube in the same space, MMA Ratings Net on Instagram and Twitter. Me, you can hit me up at rgarcia underscore sports and Shawan, you can find him at Black Jordan Green. But Shawan, why don't you let everybody know how you are doing today? Uh, not bad. Busy as always. I just actually got in about 15 minutes ago from training, so just knocked out another couple sessions and now I'm here ready to go. Did you see the story today about um, Kanye West opening up a school and the basketball recruit he signed? Like it opened up a college or like a, a high, school. high school? Oh, no, I did not. Uh, it's, supposed, it's supposedly um, the number one ranked high school player. His name is um, Jackie Howard. I think it's a J-A-H-K-I Howard. Hmm. This is I'm gonna research this. I didn't. I didn't even know he was doing a school and how he managed to get the number one get up in any high caliber player to go to his school when his school is just starting. Because when you usually have a new starting school, your your team isn't great, your coaching isn't great. So that means he's got other people of a high caliber who will be joining him. Otherwise, if I'm a kid, I'm not ruining my pers- my prospective offers playing for a crap team. That's a good way to get injured and cost yourself a lot of money. But, you know, one thing he might be doing this for, in certain high schools, you can have an NIL where you can have um, deals set up for you through, uh, you know, endorsement deals. So if Kanye owns a high school and you can do a not, you can do an NIL, then you basically could be getting paid to play basketball. Correct. And I'm wondering how that's as going to For his clothing line, his music. I mean, now that they're opening that up for high schoolers and some high schoolers and college students, I mean, we're literally talking about there's millions of dollars on the table before you even turn pro. They've got like people in college or they had a high school kid from Texas, a, co- a company signed him to a $3 million contract and gave him $3 million in their stock. And it's an up and coming company. So that company blows up. He might be a multimillionaire before he ever has a chance to play college ball, pro ball, even if he never plays pro ball, he's set for life. So if Kanye is doing that, then you will see a lot of people going to this high school all of a sudden. Yeah, I wonder how that really is going to play out. Um, it's all about the money. Yep. Like I said, I'm going to ask a question actually later on in the show, too, that kind of piggybacks off of that, because I've been seeing a lot of talks about fighter pay. So I'm going to put that in the agenda last minute. But before we get to that, let's talk about some of the fight action from this past weekend. Let's start with Thiago Santos defeating Johnny Walker, and this was a fight that a lot of people are weren't pleased with. Um, they thought it was going to be some um, big fight, big fight madness. Two Brazilians who are looking to get a, a higher position 
at 205 and, and potentially a shot at the title where there aren't a lot of, of top contenders right now for Jan Blachowicz. But the fight didn't really look like that. So let me ask this, Schwan. First, let's start with your thoughts on the fight itself. Did you agree with the decision? And what are some of the things you saw both men doing? Well, I didn't think it was going to... I didn't think it's going to be a super explosive fight. Oftentimes when people say stuff like this, it's like the Ngannou and Lewis fight because you see people doing these dynamic, explosive punches and strikes, whatever, that end fights. But when they're facing someone, the guy they're facing often isn't as explosive as they are. So when you somebody, there's more room for you to operate. Your skill level doesn't get exposed as much. You can see things coming because they're not as fast. They can't react to you because you're twice as fast. So what happens is, once you realize that window isn't there anymore, that window's a lot smaller, you start getting cautious. Because everybody's like, oh, I'm a warrior. I'm looking for the knockout. I'm going to knock. I'm going to kill or be killed. That sounds really great until you start taking an ass whooping. And I don't know as a, as a fighter, but I know there's, there's times I'm sparring. I'm feeling really good. I'm throwing hard leg kicks. You know, I'm starting to get into it. Then I get cracked once and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow this down a little bit. What are we doing here? I'm supposed to hit you and you're supposed to take it. Swing and miss, then I hit you again. You're not supposed to hit me back. And if you're going to hit me, then I'm going safety first. <laughs> and that's essentially what happened. Santos isn't a great technician himself. He's a better technician than Walker, but he's not a great technician. He gets by on explosive moments of offense, decent fundamental skill sets, and he overwhelms people with his size, his strength, and his explosiveness. Walker is a guy with really no real skill set or structure. He gets by on size, explosiveness, length, power punching, speed, all that nonsense. Those guys are pretty close in that in those tangible skills, physical skills. So all of a sudden now you're not as offensively minded because you know that if you make a mistake, this guy will catch you and he'll put you out. And the same thing goes for Walker. Walker's usually a wild man. Why is he not a wild man this time? Because he knows there's something waiting on him if he gets too crazy. So ultimately it kind of canceled each other out. And in the same same case of Nganu versus Lewis, the person who did the most work, most consistent work is the one who won it. Walker had bigger moments, but Santos was consistently busy. And that's what the difference. Santos was still working throughout the fight. Basically, Johnny Walker is a he's a um he's a Brian Ortega kind of sort of type fighter. He has these huge moments of offense where he either puts him in the lead and he rides it out, or he just dominates from that point on or stops you. But if you can survive those moments, you can just outwork him the rest of the time. Because defensively he's Eh, and offensively, he's not very skilled. So when those times he's not exploding, you can just outwork him. Just beat him up. He'll explode two or three times around. You can survive that. You'll just beat him up, except for those minute and a half, 30, 30 45 seconds of a round when he's actually working. You'll just be outworking him and chipping him, chipping him up and chipping away at his lead. So that that's essentially what happened. Both the guys took it down a notch because there was a price to pay, and they got boring because they didn't want to pay that price. And so... It came down to who's the busier fighter. Santos was the busier fighter. He just outworked him. Walker had big moments, but he couldn't land anything big enough to turn the fight. So let me ask you this about Santos specifically, because we know he came off of that catastrophic knee injury. He didn't. Well, he hasn't really looked like the same fighter since that fight with John Jones. Um, what was that in 2019 or so? What did you think of his movement and his explosiveness in this fight? Did it look? diminished did it look at a space where maybe he could still have those big moments or are we looking at someone who will never reach that point again i think he i mean 
in short bursts, he looks super, super dynamic, but I don't think he can maintain it. And I, I think part of that's the injuries, the time off. Um, he's, I think he's pretty big for lightweight. It might be also part of the cut. And then, um, you know, he's, he's not a young fighter. He's not necessarily a freshest fighter possible. You know, he's not a young 20 young guy, 20 year old guy coming up. He's a little bit skewing to the older part of it. And with light heavyweights and just like heavyweights, their, their peaks and primes are a little bit different than guys at lighter weights. So I, I don't think he looked terrible. I don't think he looked as mobile as he used to. But then again, he's never had great footwork. He's not really, he's never been light on his feet. He's not a guy who works inside. He's not never been like a Dominic Cruz, the Alexander Gustafson kind of guy. He's always been kind of a straight ahead, straight line guy. And he's never really set up his strikes particularly well. So it's hard for me to tell if it's just, Obviously, I think he's lost maybe a half a step, and maybe, but he's never been enough of a technician as far as his footwork and his positioning where he's ever looked really fluid to me. He's always looked dynamic in spots, but if he would hit better setups and better footwork, he'd look even faster. But he's never really improved those aspects. He's, to me, he's still very raw. He's, he's like an educated athlete who fights. He's got some education. He's got some technique. He's got some positioning. But if he was... If he, if he was even like a level six as far as skill, he'd probably be unstoppable. But his punch placement, I still don't really like it. His setups, eh, defensively, I think he's there to be hit all the time. I think if Walker would have ramped up his, his volume, Walker could have got him. But Walker's a pot shot type fighter. He just has enough power to make those pot shots count. So I, I really didn't see a tremendous fate drop off in him. But that's because I was never really all that enamored with what he did even before. Do you think we're going to see some type of resurgence with him that he'll maybe make another run for the title or is he always going to be top five-ish within the division? Well, the thing about it, even with him and Walker, they're both good enough athletes. When they're facing a lesser guy, they can have dynamic finishes and put on dynamic performances. They could easily be in the top two or three because in light heavyweight, the division is super thin. People get rushed, just like Walker. Walker got rushed ahead because he had dynamic wins. Because there's not enough depth for you to really develop a guy and have him establish an identity and learn his strengths and weaknesses. The division so thin, guys go from debuting a light heavyweight to like a year and a half later, they might be challenging for a title. Look at like Voldemir when he came in. He won one. He was almost he he challenged for a title like two years into it. You can't challenge for a title two years at welterweight. You don't challenge for a title two years at lightweight. You don't challenge for his title two years at featherweight unless you beat multiple ranked guys. In light heavyweight, you might go from 17th ranked to 5th ranked in the span of like eight months if you if you don't get hurt. The division's too thin for that. So either one of them could really go on a run and next thing you know be challenging Glover or or uh, Jan for a title. It's, it's just that possible. You know, the way people get injured, the fact that the division's so deep, so, so shallow – and people constantly get upset in it. I mean, all you have to do is hang around long enough. You'll get your shot. Wait. Didn't he? Doesn't he? Doesn't he have a win over Jan as well, too? If I recall correctly, yes. Stoppage win. How do you think that that fight would go if they ran it back today? I just, I think, I, I still think Jan should have won the first fight. I think Jan at this point has a has a better better system to himself. And like I said, I, I still think that he's lost a half a step. He's still got the same defensive holes. He's still got the same offensive holes. He's he's a little bit better because he's being more meticulous because he knows he can't rely purely on athleticism. So he's a little bit more sharper offensively. He's a little more aware defensively, but he's not enough so 
that he could that I think that he would be able to navigate Jan this time. I think he's lost a step. That half step is enough for Jan to beat him. And if he was that much more technically improved, then he would have put on a better performance against Walker. He could never really put extended combinations together and really do damage because he was a fearful of, of Walker's counters and threat of Walker's offense, which lets me know that his offense and his defense isn't where he wants it to be either. Otherwise, he would have been more aggressive and, and pressured him and put more of a pace on him. But he knows he knows his defense is faulty, and he knows his offense isn't, isn't always pitch perfect. So he couldn't afford to take certain chances. He couldn't afford to fight past a certain pace. Yeah, I agree with you. I, um, I don't think either one of these guys are really going to make a true run at, at the title. I think uh, Santos had his opportunity and it kind of slipped away from him because of the injury and Walker was pushed a little bit too quickly. And we saw what happened when he ended up fighting guys who were able to get away from all of the wildness and focus on his detriments. And we saw how that kind of played out. Now him. he's trying to fight a little different, though. He got Kavanaugh. And a lot of, Kavanaugh caught a lot of flack this weekend. Mm-hmm. And hit him on one point. People are, when he's saying to use the feints and he's trying to get him to slow down, Walker, when he would fight, he would just come out doing crazy stuff, jump knees, backflips, whatever, right? That works against a certain caliber of opponent. Once you get past that, it's not enough to just get a lead and hold on to it or get it or just finish somebody. So then when he runs out of ideas, all he would end up doing is walking around and just do something crazy, which would put him in a bad position. Kavanaugh wants him to fight more methodically. So that even if he runs out of ideas, he's not setting himself up by throwing wild and getting taken down and controlled or throwing some big strike and getting counterstruck as a result of it. He didn't want him to minimize the opponent. And because he's big and long, Kavanaugh wants him to use his length and his feints to kind of create openings. But the issue with Kavanaugh isn't conceptually. Conceptually and strategically, he understands MMA. He can coach MMA. At SVG, I find there to be some iffiness in the actual technique as far as the wrestling and the striking. It's not pitch perfect in how they do it. They have the right idea, but they don't know how to execute that idea. Like someone on Twitter, we were talking about it, said, he goes, he, he knows he knows the advantage. that Walker, He doesn't know how to teach him to use it in a manner that's going to win the fight. So Walker had the length and he had front kicks. He had things he had success with, but you notice he never stuck with them. He landed the front kick. Santos didn't take it away from him. He just wouldn't throw it consistently. He had limp, and he would faint. Santos would buy him the feints, but instead of following it up with a low kick, high kick, um, high jab, low jab, high jab, straight right to the stomach, straight right to the high, to the high jab, instead of doing something like that, something basic, something to kind of offset it, he would just keep fainting. And so he would get Santos out of position, but he wouldn't make him pay. And I don't know that Kavanaugh is a nuts and bolts kind of fighter, fighter's coach, who can teach him how to take advantage of the openings he's creating. He, he put him in position to do things, but it's like he wasn't trained well enough to take advantage of the positions he was in. It's kind of like a, a poor man's version of Jackson Wink. They are high on IQ, high, high on strategy, high on concepts. But if you really look at Jackson Wink fighters, especially on the feet, their striking isn't super clean. It's real. It's really unstructured. It's really disconnected. They'll throw two jabs and a spinning heel kick. What the fuck? That don't even work, dude. You know, it's like it's very reliant on the on the fighter's physical tools. There's not a lot of nuance and subtlety to it. And that's what Walker's missing. He needs some nuance and subtlety. Cause to me, in my opinion, prior in the prior versions of him, he he just was an unskilled fighter. He was just a big, strong athlete who could do some stuff. He wasn't actually skilled. So Kavanaugh is having to 
reinstall all these skills. And I don't think he's a good enough technical coach to bring that out in him. He needs a guy who's got at least a fundamental base of skills. Got no fundamental base of skills. He's really terrible at everything. He's just dynamic and athletic, so it works. You know, J.J. Watt does a double leg on you. He'll probably take you down. Is it because he's a good wrestler? No, it's because he's a world-class athlete. He's got nothing to do with technique. We'll be talking about some great double legs at the end of the show when I when I do a highlight on um, Jordan Burroughs. We're going to hit him up later okay. on at the end of the show because he got some success this weekend. But let's keep it rolling because I want to talk about Kevin Holland as well in the co-main event where it ended up becoming a no contest. Him and uh, what was the guy's name? I, I can't. Um, Takalkis. Yeah, they banged heads and Holland goes down. Takalkis, excuse me. Holland goes down. He's clearly out. Yeah. Um, you can tell like the minute that their heads hit and he goes down there, they're out. But he gets back up. Fight isn't, excuse me, the fight isn't stopped. Their fight isn't paused. And he uh, is allowed to continue fighting. Uh, the caucus takes his back and submits him. So he is, the, the, the officials and, and the refs are talking about the situation. There was some mild controversy. I haven't heard a lot of people talking about it around the, um, the fact that the USC officials were so close into the decision making there, yeah. when they're in the United States, obviously they are governed by the state commission, so that shouldn't have been the case. But you know, that's neither here nor there. I think that that, that, that something should be made of that if it comes out that they had some um, power in making the, the decision. But the fight is ruled a no contest. They're immediately rebooked. I mean, they're fighting on November 18th. Yeah, I'm not sure so, I agree with that. So I know I, we're going to talk about that too in less than 30, uh, 30 some odd days. Interestingly enough, the same thing happened tonight on Dana White Contender Series. Two guys banged heads. One guy goes down. He wasn't as out as Holland was, but he was definitely rocked. Um, and it was a clear accidental headbutt. But they stopped the fight. The guy took about two minutes. I've seen guys take more time for eye pokes and crotch shots than he took for banging heads. And the fight continued. And he ended up getting knocked out. So um, it's some very it's, it's it's some interesting situation there. So Schwan, what did you think of what happened with the Kevin Holland situation and how the whole contest played out? I mean, they probably should have when they saw him bang heads. The ref probably should have stopped it and given him a chance to recover, or or at the very least, um, or at the very least, uh, maybe called it a no contest from there. I know it wasn't intentional, but the guy is clearly impaired. They, I thought, I thought for sure they'd at least stop and check on. Him. I know the guy jumps right on him, but there's been times when someone's fouled and fallen to a position, and then they called the foul and stopped it and re, you know, took a point from him or stopped the fight and to reassess it. You know, it's not like they've never done that before. Someone kicks someone in the groin and they're middle of an exchange, they'll stop it. If somebody spits out their mouthpiece when they're getting in the middle of an exchange, they'll stop it to pick up the mouthpiece. Usually, they're not supposed to stop until there's a break, but lots of times. They'll be looking for a break because they realize the mouthpiece is out, or they'll stop it before. So I don't see why they couldn't have jumped in and said, okay, we'll stop it right now. He's clearly impaired. He's clearly stunned. We can't even continue with this fight. I mean, he, he's probably concussed. And just because he fought through the concussion, it's, no, it's one thing if he got kicked in the head, knee in the head, that's within the context of the strikes, the strikes that are acceptable. A headbutt is not something they train for or train to protect from. That's totally out of left field. I don't see why they couldn't have at least stopped and given him a couple minutes to reconsider it or um, or just call it a new contest. But 
to be fair, they had a fight between Matt Sarah and, and Matt Hughes. And if I recall correctly, uh, I think Hughes got hit with the right hand. He got headbutted. Then he got hit with a shot. And they let that fight go. So, I mean, in the, in the, in the opposite side of it, if Holland wins the fight somehow, some way, then you'd have to – you would give, take away his opportunity to win the fight. But just for the – I guess the honor and the professionals in the sport, you wouldn't want someone compromised already being subject to more strikes or being choked unconscious. You know, like somebody's already concussed and you're just going to let them get beat upon. That, that seems like that's problematic. You know, if like two weeks from now he collapses because he has some kind of bleeding on the brain, people are going to point to the fact that they continue to let a fight go on after he was clearly concussed. Yeah, yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting situation to kind of watch and see. Um, I'm going to say a, a phrase that I hate so much, but watch and see kind of how it plays out because it, it's going to – my big thing is like what influence – did the UFC have over this, over the rules, over, over the way the rules were handled? Um, I think they were handled correctly, but I, I, I look at the matter in a way. I, I have some more questions around that piece of it, the way that they were so flocked around the actual um, decision makers. There, you said that you don't agree with the idea of them fighting in a couple of weeks. I mean, they fight on November 18th. Why do you think that they're rushing it back so quickly? And, and do you think why? Why don't you think that's that's the right decision? I assume they're going with it because it's a big story and it, it adds it adds an element. It'll probably be high up on the main card. It, it has it has a storyline. They want fights with storylines that'll help them bring in more ratings, bring in more people, bring draw more attention to the cards. You know, that's half the reason some people get rematches when there's no reason to. It's a big name. It'll help sell another card. Well, this guy got clearly destroyed. Doesn't matter. Big name helps sell our card. You know, the same reason they bring on. They used to drag out bj penn to be on cards when he clearly shouldn't have been fighting he's it it has it it adds to the depth it adds to the storyline of the car which will help us bring more people in because it builds interest in it um i I think he's trying to become a politician now yeah uh good luck i i don't know if that's his thing but you know what i'm not gonna hate on him um i think that he was concussed i think he to me i feel like he was concussed maybe he wasn't but i feel like he was concussed and he got basically knocked out, and then he got choked out. What other situation where there's people who just get choked out in fights, and they have to sit out for, what, six months? You know, they get knocked out. They have to sit out for two, three months. You know what I'm saying? Like, after the fight, the, the doctors look at him, and they say, well, this person won't be fighting for another whatever months. So how is somebody who was essentially knocked out by a headbutt being allowed to fight, what, a month from now? If he got knocked out, would if he got if he got, if he got kicked in the head, and, and he dropped like that, they would stop the fight, and he'd have to sit out three to six months. But he got hit, and because he continued to fight, we've seen guys be knocked out cold and still basically on autopilot. And after the fight, they make them sit for six months. Why is he sitting out for a month? I don't even know if he should be sparring. To be quite honest, which which shots to the head? Because now mean, it's true. Like the, I always point to T.J. Grant, um, mm-hmm. the guy who he was on a run. Set for a UFC lightweight title shot. I think he had one like five or six straight. Yep. Bumped heads doing jujitsu and never fought again. Yeah. Like that. No, like that those was type of situations can't be ignored. Or was it? Who was the guy? Uh, there was a guy years ago. He's like the beast or somebody. He fought somebody and he got knocked out. He got knocked out real quick. And then you found out in sparring he had like got headbutted or something or clipped. 
And so, like, concussion, going into the fight with a concussion, a lot of times when you see fighters just get ice like that, they had trouble making weight or they had such tough sparring. They were concussed in sparring. And so that switch is already halfway off. Mm-hmm. So he comes up there and that guy just hits him with a jab and he goes out. Am I supposed to feel good about that now? I can't even cheer that now because I have questions about he's physically compromised. And of course, you know, Kevin Holland, oh, it's, if it's on the street, uh, he would have beat me twice. Dude, this isn't a street fight, dog. If it's a street fight, then you don't have to make weight and you don't get paid for it. And we wouldn't put a TV camera on it because we go to jail for, for enabling physical violence or encouraging physical violence. I understand what he's trying to do. And everybody's like, he's a warrior. That's the way it's supposed to be. Nah, dude, this is a sport, man. This is a legitimate sport. These are real life consequences. And you might be setting yourself up for problems moving forward. Let's say he is concussed and he gets dropped in the next fight and knocked out. Well, who's to say his chin isn't gone from that point on? You had a chance to at least be in the mix. Now that's gone because you've done irreparable harm to your chin. Because once your chin goes, it's done. There is there is no recovering back from that. And I don't understand how everybody agreed that he was knocked out in the fight and he's fighting six weeks later, even though he was knocked out. That doesn't make sense to me. If he got knocked out by a kick or a punch or a knee, they would not let him fight a month later. They would not let him fight two months later. They would not let him fight three months later. Brian Ortega wasn't even knocked out. He ain't fighting for six months minimum. Calvin Cater wasn't knocked out like like, uh, Kevin Holland was. He ain't fighting six months later. He he sure as hell ain't fighting a month and a half later. So how who was actually, for all intents and purposes, knocked out fighting six weeks from now? Very true. Lauren Murphy's on suspension for three months. But Kevin Holland's fighting in six weeks. Lauren Murphy wasn't knocked out. She wasn't really knocked out. Why, why, why can't she fight then? I think the question should be, why is this person fighting? Um, like, let's, like, I would rather the rules be a little bit more stringent in that direction rather than the other way. Yeah. Well, there's, there's, I, I know sooner or later there's going to be a high-profile death in mixed martial arts. I see I mean, it. We just had one BKFC this, this yeah. week. It's, it's going to happen. It might be in the UFC. It might be on national TV. It's, it is going to happen. Somebody's going to be misweighed and come out there, and they're going to – it's going to happen. We, we, I, think, I, think already. I, I think it's interesting that you brought that up because I think we've been lucky when it comes to that, and the sport does a good enough job of hiding – We don't A, the sport is still young. We don't know what these guys are going to look like. We have no idea what the first generation will look like in their 60s and 70s. Like we saw Ali towards the end of of his life. We saw other fighters in bad situations towards the end of of their life. So MMA has that going for them, that their first generation is just now slowly getting to that point. And then on top of that, there hasn't been a catastrophic injury in MMA. We have so many that happened in like pro wrestling where guys and women are getting paralyzed or seriously injured and their lives are never the same. That's never happened in MMA. I mean, like they've really kind of looked up with that and, and seeing the guy get knocked out in BKFC and then passing away. I think he, he got, he fought on the 20th. I think um, Josh Thornton was his name. He fought on the 20th and then died a couple a couple days ago, the, the 20th of um, August. So that was like a long-term uh, situation there for him. So, yeah, like these situations are, are, are dangerous, and they should be taken a little a, a lot more seriously. I just want someone to explain to me once again, and, I, and maybe I'm understanding this wrong. 
I have seen people who haven't even been knocked out and they're being held out of fights for weeks and months. This person, everybody agrees, was knocked out temporarily from the headbutt. And yet he is fighting six weeks from now. Somebody's got to make... If you tell if you got if you got headbutt and you're completely out, there's no way a doctor checks you and you are 100 percent right. No way. And then that makes me think also, remember what Volkanovsky said last week? He said they were telling Ortega how many fingers, and he's given the wrong answer. He's been back out there. How many fingers are home up? Five. Okay, get out there. That's a hell of a situation to be in, man. I'm glad that I'm no longer in. And you got a space. corner. A corner who you trust to take care of you. You're laying, imagine you're laying out, you can't even get up. You're so stunned, you're so tired, you can't get up. They pick you up, you can't count, you can't see, and they just say, You'll be fine. Get back out there. Get back out there. That's how it rolls. Oh my God. Um, let's move on and let's talk about Douglas Lima and MVP. MVP picked up a split decision that a lot of people didn't really agree with. How did you score the fight for who? I, I agree with it completely. People who step by for MVP for Lima, I get why y'all did it, but we have to look at the facts. The numbers are skewed in Lima's favor, but it's not a huge gap. He was an outlanding MVP like two to one or three to one. Like MVP landed seven shots, he landed like fifteen. That's that's like eight more shots, and he didn't at no point at no point did he stun MVP. He never had MP on MVP on skates. He never really rocked him or dropped him. MVP put him on the ground three times. You're in a three-round fight, and you get dropped three times, and you think that you're winning that fight, and you got dropped twice in the first round. You went from ten. If if we usually if you get dropped, they can't take a point off. So you went from automatically it's ten nine, right? Ten nine, 10-8, 10-7. At worst, it's ten eight. That means you have to sweep the next rounds completely for you to even have a chance to win. And he got dropped in one of the later rounds. <laughs> There's there's no way it at best it could have been a draw. At the very best, it could have been a draw. But there's no way you get dropped first in the first because he lost the first round automatically, even before he got knocked down. MVP's best round was the first round. So that's already 10-9. He dropped him twice more. That is 10-8-10-7. How the hell do you come back to win after a 10-7 round? Unless you knock and he knocked, I think he might have knocked him down once. But even if even if knocked him down, that's a 10-7. I say, let's say he wins a round. That's 10 8. The last round's even money. It, there's no way he wins it. And, and the worst part about this is Douglas, Diego, whatever, Douglas, is it Douglas Lima? Douglas Lima. His team clearly did not, his team did not watch the first fight. They assumed that the same hole that was going to be there was going to be there again. And it almost was. But almost was, yeah. MVP was waiting for it. MVP knew what he was doing now. He was ready for it. But if you watch the first fight, when he took him down, MVP got double wrist lock on him, and Lima couldn't do anything with it. He could, when the first fight when he took him down, he didn't do anything to to MVP on the ground. I don't care what anybody said. I watched that fight. He stayed on top, but he didn't really land any punishment. He never threatened with a submission. And then the second round before he got knocked out, MVP hit him with a big pot shot, hit him, rocked him, and then he caught another one, kicked his leg out, and then finished him. MVP had got his timing was starting to tune his ass up in that second round. But he caught him with the leg kick because he overcommitted because he's on it. He overcommitted, reaching for the shot. Leg kicked out from underneath him. Hit him with that shot. Fight over. But right before the knockout, MVP had his timing. MVP was getting to him, and he couldn't put two punches together on MVP. So basically, this fight just happened in reverse. He came out hot the first round, 
Douglas Lima still couldn't do anything with any of his takedowns. He landed maybe three or four strikes. None of them were real damaging. He didn't put him in any submissions. All he did was control him. He couldn't get away from the wrist locks. He couldn't do anything. And on the feet, he landed, but he didn't really hurt MVP. He didn't drop him. He didn't stun him. He didn't back him up. He hit him a couple shots, but he didn't put four, five, six combinations together. He wasn't outlanding him at a great volume. He wasn't pressuring him effectively. He wasn't doing any of that. It was 50-50 on the feet at best. And on the ground, yeah, he was on top, but what else did he do on the ground? Nothing. I don't know what people were talking about. It was, it was, a, it was a bad judge fight. The, Lima's team prepared him wrong, and they didn't watch the right – either they didn't watch the first fight or they had no idea what they were watching because the same issues he had in the first fight were the same issues he had in the second fight. He couldn't get away from from, um, from MVP straight shots. He couldn't get away from MVP's movement and his rhythm. And on the ground, even though he could keep him on the ground, he didn't have the strength or the technical ability to do anything. Pass guard, get to bet side mount, get to full mount, transition to a submission. He couldn't. He didn't do anything on the ground. I, maybe I'm biased. What did you see Lima do on the ground to MVP? Because I didn't see him do a damn thing. So let me ask you a question then. Mm-hmm. You fight for a third time, who wins? I think MVP might have him. I think I think his best bet is to catch him in transition. Like he catches him, rocks him, knocks him off the feet, catches him in transition. But the thing about Lima is Lima's not a busy fighter. If he threw a lot of volume, he would have never lost to, to Roy McDonald in the first fight. He kind of works at a decent pace, but he's he doesn't throw a lot of volume. He's not a dynamic puncher. Yeah, he knocked MVP out, but how many times are you going to get to wind up with a shot like that? Who is Douglas Lima really consistently knocking out? He's not really a knockout dynamic striker. Defensively, he's not really all that great. As a wrestler, he's all right. As a grappler, eh, I haven't seen anything where I need to be impressed. I don't, I don't, I think that now that MVP's got the confidence, I don't know that how Lima beats him. I, to be quite honest, if he didn't land that one shot against him earlier, I don't think that he would have beat him the first time. Uh, Lima's a very good fighter, and I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of MVP. I think he's ridden hype and celebrity a little bit. But the fact of the matter, the dude can fight. He has beaten legitimate fighters. I mean, he beat Paul Daly. Paul Daly's still a legitimate win, and he legitimately beat Douglas Lima. If Lima has a problem with it, stop getting dropped. Don't get dropped three. You get dropped three times in a three-round fight. You can't, you can't tell me if you're in that guy's corner, you feel good about that decision. We got dropped twice in the first round, once in the last round. Oh, yeah, we won an easy decision. Based off of what, dude? Even if you think the judging is terrible, you know how the judging works. Three knockdowns in a three-round fight, you might as well just say you lost. If, if you get a draw, you should be thanking the Lord. So I, I, think, I, think, I think MVP's got him got his, got his, got figured out. I think MVP's confidence now is sky high. Lima's confidence is not anywhere near close to sky high. And I don't think he can fight at pace. He doesn't jab or box well enough to set up his strikes. And he's not a good enough grappler to do anything except get from control. So unless he makes huge jumps forward in the next couple months, I think MVP beats him again in a tight fight. Because if Lima would have addressed the problems he had, he wouldn't have lost two fights in a row before coming to MVP and losing the third. He hasn't adjusted past a certain point. He's fighting the same way he's fought in every, every fight he's lost. Throwing so-so volume, not really landing power, not being able to get takedowns, not being able to, if he can't bully you, he he's not as good a fighter. And you can't bully somebody like MVP because of his movement, his rhythm, and how dynamic he is for one or two shots at a time. And it's hard to counter a guy like that because he doesn't throw enough volume for you to find your rhythm. You have to have him figured out perfectly. 
And if you don't have them figured out perfectly, you can't land the kind of shots it takes to turn a fight around. And now that he knows what to look for, that's the only time Lima threatened him. Kicked his leg out, uppercut. Rest of the time, all the shots he threw, they, they weren't anything to be worried about. He's got to worry about one, one specific situation. If Lima does not get that situation, MVP has no fear of him, and he has no reason to. So I want to ask one last question about this fight before we move on to our next one. What is the ceiling for MVP? Can he be a champion in Bellator? He needs favorable matchups, like fight with Raymond Daniels would be good because they're both strikers. Lorenz Larkin, I, st- I don't think his grappling and his wrestling is good enough to handle legitimate grapplers and wrestlers. The only thing he does have is he's so unique in how he fights. You have to be either able to just pressure him nonstop, which means walking through some pretty heavy fire. It won't be a volume, but it'll be like big shot, big shot, flying these dynamic el- jumping elbows, jumping knees, punches, these fight finishing moments. You have to risk, expose yourself to that so you can consistently pressure them. Most guys don't want to get highlight reels, so they, they don't attack with relentlessness because they know that he could come out of nowhere and blast you and embarrass you for years. But the thing about it is if you can string ta- attacks together and you can get into the ground, I think you can out-hustle him. You can outwork him on the ground. I think some of the better grapplers can submit him or just beat him up. But he hasn't really faced any legitimate, legitimate wrestlers, any legitimate, legitimate grapplers. As long as you put him in against stand-up guys or hybrid wrestling guys, I think he can do all right. Um, when he starts facing the better athletes who can grapple and are very good at setting up takedowns and getting him, I think it's problematic. I still think he presents problems because of his movement, but I just I don't know what he does off his back against a guy who is really a beast on the ground. He has it's like some they have a couple guys in there who are really good grapplers. You know, Justin Poirier is a good grappler. He's not Khabib, and some of the guy and. and and uh, Lima is a good grappler. He's not like some of the other guys they have in there. Those guys get him in those positions. It's a wrap. So I'm, I'm not sure where it, where where his ceiling is, but in Bellator, he's at least a legit top five through seven fighter, which nobody would have said before. I went over Dan- Paul Daly, means something. I went over Dallas Lima, even though for two losses, still means something. He beat them both. He's legitimately a top five, top seven type guy in Bellator. And nobody considered him that, and he proved him wrong. And if he was as much of a prod as everybody said he was, then Lima wouldn't have struggled with him in the first fight, and he damn sure wouldn't have gone to a decision wound in the second fight. The fact that he's even lasting through these fights tells me that either Lima's not as good as he thinks he is, or MVP is a whole lot better than everybody else has made him out to be. Yeah, that's definitely a mouthful there because I have I've had not only say negative thoughts, but I've always questioned just what is MVP's ceiling. So to see him pick up this win and really wonder what is next for him is a question that I would love to see answered. And I would love to see him get some tougher, excuse me, tougher bouts, but we just don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah, well, I mean, to a degree, he he's still kind of unknown, but he has legitimized himself. We can't say he hasn't beaten anybody. Paul Daly win, he did that. That's a legitimate win. And whether you Let's say, let's just say you think he lost against Lima, and you think he's still a fraud. How do you excuse him dropping Lima three times in three rounds? If he's a complete fraud, you got dropped three times but three rounds by a fraud by a guy who can't fight. What sense does that make? That doesn't even make any sense. None. Let's move on because we got a lot to talk about from this weekend. We have two big fights I want to cover. The first one is Tyson um, Tyson Fury versus Dante Wilder three, and that boxing bout is this weekend. It's probably the biggest. It's probably the biggest heavyweight fight we could see this year. 
Um, Swan, how do you see this playing out? Let's start there, and let's also kind of cover what's on the table for heavyweight boxing. Well, I, I'm interested to see what happens. I don't really know what we're going to see with Deontay Wilder. If I, like I said before on the show, if I was if I was Fury, I would have taken the rematch immediately and got Wilder out of the paint. He was he had been concussed, he'd been badly beaten. His team was in disarray. Get that rematch right away. You knock him out. You have a clear path to Joshua or whoever else you want to fight. But he didn't want to take it. He tried to skip ahead and go straight to Joshua, which ultimately cost him the Joshua fight to Joshua Laws and put him right back in with Wilder as Wilder enforced the rematch, and they got it. The good thing for Wilder is he's had time off and he's working on his boxing. And he seems more dedicated to boxing and setting up his power and being smart and being disciplined. The bad part is it usually takes a camp or two for that to really sink in. He hasn't had any fights. I'm, I'm guessing he's sparring. Maybe he's not. But we haven't seen it under fire. So he might come out on his toes using his jab, throwing combinations and fainting. But the question is, what happens as the fight goes on? What happens if that doesn't work? What if he starts trying to box Fury and Fury starts still putting it on him? What, will he have the discipline to box? I don't know. Um, and we already know that if he comes out swinging, he's got a 50-50 chance of landing the power, but more times than not, he's going to be outboxed for the large majority of the fight. And we've already seen Tyson Fury take his very, very best shot and get up from it. So that whole idea that if I just land one, I can stop anybody may be true for everybody else you fought. It's not true for Tyson Fury. You landed too, and you didn't put him away. So I have a lot of questions as far as Deontay Wilder's mindset and um, his ability to maintain his poise. I don't know what he's going to do if the fight doesn't go his way. He's usually generally always been able to, to rely on the ability that he lands one shot. That's his confidence. I land one shot, anybody is done. That's not true with Fury. So now he's going to, I'm going to be boxing so I can set my power up better. That might work, but Tyson Fury is a really good boxer. He's a really, really good boxer. So I don't know that you can outbox him. And the only other option is for you to outfight him. And I don't know that that's possible either because Tyson Fury is such a big, strong, physical guy. He has multiple ways to win this fight. He can win a decision. He can outbox to a decision. He can box and punch and stop him. He can just go into a brawl and make it dirty and hug all over him and push him into the ropes and just beat him up. He's done both things. Deontay Wilder's never had any success, any continued success against Fury in two fights. The first fight, swing, miss, swing, miss, swing, miss, swing, miss. He lands a big shot, puts him down. I think he knocked him down two or three times. That's essentially what kept the fight being close. To be honest, he lost the first fight. You, you can't, can't overcome 10 rounds of dominance with two rounds where you knock someone down. And even in that last round when he knocked him down, Fury came back and was beating him up in the last round. And then the second round, second fight, Fury just came forward, smothered him, wrestled him, bullied him, punched him up, beat him down, knocked him out. Fury's had continued success boxing and counterpunching. He's had continued success walking him down. So his confidence is sky high because he's taken his best shot and he's beat him both ways in his mind. Fury, Wilder's never had any consistent, continued success against Fury in two fights with him. He has had no consistent weapon being successful. And I don't mean like a flash moment. I mean consistently he won a whole round from beginning to end or he came back halfway through the round it's all been these big moments of offense so i don't know if you're i don't know the, i don't know the wilder can box a disciplined fight i don't know if he can maintain his poise 
I don't know that his chin isn't compromised and now he's trying to box to protect himself. I don't know what the, the motivation is behind this. All I know is he's doing things now that he should have been doing the first five years of his career because it's really hard to teach yourself to be a technician when the majority of your career you've been a one-punch, one-kill kind of person. And he's been a one-trick pony, now he's developing another trick. I don't know that he's going to develop that trick fast enough to make up for uh, the gap in skill between him and Fury. Some people compare it to Joshua or Ruiz, but Anthony Joshua was always kind of a boxer with power. Wilder's been an athlete who boxes. And it's very hard to develop all those subtle skills. The only question I have is, is Fury 100% committed to this fight? Is he into it? Because we don't know. Is he into it? He's never really defended a belt, so we don't know what his mindset is or he's really bought into it. If he's 100% in, he should win this fight. If he's not, and he's hesitant in any form or fashion, that's going to give Wilder an opening. But I feel if he takes away Wilder's confidence early, I don't think Wilder's going to be able to recover. I really don't think he's going to be able to recover. What is he going to do? Start swinging for the fences again? That's not going to work. So if this boxing thing doesn't work, he's got to go back to his old, his old, his, his old faithful. And old faithful didn't work either. In either the first fight or the second. What is on the line for both of these guys here, outside of just the title situation, obviously? But if the uh, if Wilder takes another loss here, how far does his stock drop? I remember um, heading into the second fight, everybody was talking about this bout. Um, a lot of my friends were asking if they're planning, if I was planning on watching it, where can I watch it, et cetera, et cetera. But I have not heard a peep from anybody about this third one here, and especially among black boxing fans because that heavyweight division is usually where casual um fans flock to and there hasn't really been an african-american on top top of that division in a very very long time so where does his stock go if he experiences another loss his stock the loss to fury isn't what affected his stock it was the it was the nonsensical excuse making you know because he he uh he lost, but then he's like, they put something in my drink. Uh, the gloves weren't good. Oh, it was the uniform. I told my guy to let me get carried out on my shield as if a corner man's going to let you get beat pillar to post just to prove a point. He didn't take any ownership over the loss. It was all excuses. It was all bad luck. It was all this. That's another reason I'm not sure how he's going to win this fight because he never owned the fact that he lost it. He didn't say the better man won. He didn't say I came in unprepared. He didn't say I was good enough. He said they drugged me, they robbed me, my coach, my blah, blah, blah. He just pointed fingers everywhere. At no point did he say this guy manned up, faced me around, and beat me down and walked through me. He didn't say that. He he never accepted that that loss. So if he didn't accept the loss, I don't know how much better you can get when you keep putting in external external distractions. And um, that's what hurt his that's what hurt his, his reputation. That's where his stock to the folks. People thought he was crazy. They're like, dude, you you walked into the into the ring with a 75, 50 pound suit on. That's that's nuts. You're 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 claiming that you're a former Olympic gold medalist, former world champion, the most legitimate person in your corner. You're blaming him for stopping the fight. That's two. Three, you're saying people drugged you. You said somebody put something in your drink. Then you said somebody tampering with the with the gloves. Like you're making all these outlandish complaints and views with with no no sort of merit, and and you're not saying the better man won. You're just you're just trying to make excuses. And so his 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 rating with people is kind of low. Some people think he's a lunatic. 
Some people just think he's crazy. If he would have accepted his loss, said, I'm just going to come back better, they'd be able to sell this this fight a little bit better. But he was talking crazy. Some, some people thought he wasn't even fit to fight. Some people still don't think he's fit to fight. And we're going to find that on Saturday night. But um, didn't he leave his trainer, too, after the second fight? He fired one. I don't know if the other guy's still there, but he fired he fired the most accomplished actual trainer in his corner. He fired him and said he was a traitor. And he just did a bunch of stuff. And it, it just hurt. It went from this guy who was full of confidence and, and swag and was knocking people out. He got exposed to the guy who can't box. He was always some kind of great American fighter. And then you watch him fight Fury and swing and miss for 12 rounds straight. And you're like, this dude can't box at all. But at least he can punch. And then you saw Fury walk right through his punches and beat him up. So now you you even wonder about his power. If he loses this fight, it's gonna he's he's gonna be thought of as an afterthought as a heavyweight. He'll be a name still, maybe with some kind of value. But he's gonna be thought of as a as a freak show who got by on athleticism and power. A guy who's never really a true boxer and a guy who was a front runner. As long as his power was on the table, he was great. The minute someone knew how to handle his power or make him box, he was exposed as a complete fraud. I mean, if he loses, a lot of people think that it'll help it hurt his, re- his his resume or his lineage anymore. He didn't beat a lot of the top guys. He didn't beat a lot of top well, heavyweight fighters. He beat a lot of so-so fighters and guys who, who really should never be anywhere close to ranked. He doesn't have a lot of great wins on his resume. He was just busy. But he, he wasn't beating a lot of top-ranked heavyweights. So it's not like anybody thought he was the greatest thing ever. They just thought he fought a lot, so he earned his respect, and he was knocking guys out, so he earned his popularity – but nobody was under impression he's a great boxer or a great representative of boxing or that he was some kind of all-time great fighter. Nobody thought that. He He's fought a couple of good guys, and one of them was Fury, and he lost to him. And he, he lost pretty pretty one-sided in two fights, in my opinion. If Fury loses this, mm-hmm. there's going to be questions about his state of mind. Um, if Fury's capable of performing at the world-class level consistently, because after he beat a Klitschko, he took a huge break. Then he came back and fought Wilder. Then he came back and fought Wilder and was a better version of himself. But he's never really had to consistently defend titles and carry the weight, carry the weight of being the heavyweight champion and carry the weight of having everybody gunning for him because he's never really defended it. So this is the first time for him to actually establish being a defending champion. As a lot of fighters like to say, until you defend the belt, you're not really the champion. This is his first time defending the belt. If he loses the fight, of course... There's no hope of there being a Joshua fight or an Usyk fight. He'll probably have to fight, depending on the pay-per-view, he might fight Wilder again. But the the question marks in his career has been kind of his mental stability and his toughness. And if he loses this fight, people will just chalk it up, probably chalk it up to his his lack of mental stability and focus. That's why he's never defended a title. He's never had the discipline and the poise and the maturity to do the things necessary to not just reach the peak, but stay on it. And this will be like, oh, this is the first time he defended and he lost? Okay, well, now I understand why he never defended before because he's just not that kind of guy. He doesn't have that kind of character of professionalism. So you won't be able to take away from what he's accomplished. Nobody will ever doubt his boxing skills, of course, but his heart and his, his love for the sport and his professionalism and his character will come into question. But as far as his actual accomplishments, he's fought a good enough caliber of fighters where people won't question his skills, they will question his mental, his mentality and his character, though. Good stuff there, Sean. Good stuff there. Um, who do you see winning and how on Saturday? I still have to go with Fury. Like I said, I don't know which way he's going to do it. He could 
he could strictly stay on the outside and box. He could walk straight in and he could smother him and brawl with him. Or he could do a combination of boxing punching. I don't know which one he's going to choose, but he's already beaten him twice, even though it's a draw in the first one. He beat him boxing him. He beat him fighting him. Maybe he'll mix it up. I think it depends on what Wilder brings out and how how long Wilder sticks to it. But I, I really don't think if Wilder doesn't land something early and land something very devastating, I, I have a hard time picturing how he wins this fight. I know he's looking better at boxing. I know he's trying to be more technical and more careful. I just don't know that a guy who's never shown any elite world-class boxing skill is all of a sudden going to outbox the best technical heavyweight boxer, at least defensively, in the division. Maybe maybe one of the best defensive heavyweight boxers of all time, as far as his movement and his slickness. Um, Fury's just always shown a variety of ways to win. He's brawled. He's used his weight. He's used his length. He's used his movement. He's used his skill. Wilder's only won one way. And it's hard for me to picture any world where he outboxes Tyson Fury for 12 rounds. And even if he starts outboxing him, what happens if Tyson Fury just starts walking him down? Can he maintain that pace? Is his cardio good enough? Will he just start swinging from the hips again? It's, I, can, I, can, I can only go on what somebody's shown me and what, who's shown me who's the better fighter, the smarter fighter, and the more skilled and versatile fighter is Tyson Fury. The only way I've seen Deontay Wilder win fights is with big moments of offense. I've never seen him outbox somebody for 12. I've never seen him outbox somebody for three. So I can't say that if he if he outboxes them, that'll be shot to me. I'll give him props, but I've never seen him do it. So I don't know how he's going to pick it up over three to six months. That's not very likely. And the power, it's still dangerous, and he still can knock anybody out. But in two fights, he didn't find a way to do it. So I don't know why, after essentially two losses, all of a sudden he's going to find the confidence and the ability to find the shots he didn't find before, unless Tyson Fury is not 100% bought in, unless Tyson Fury is mentally compromised and can't perform. If Tyson Fury is on point, I don't see how Tyson Fury loses this fight. I just don't. I mean, as much as Wilder hurt him with shots, he hurt Wilder in the first fight. He, he crushed him in the second fight. So it ain't like Tyson Fury can't hurt him either. Tyson Fury is the bigger, stronger fighter in this, and he's the better boxer, and he's the more proven fighter. He's almost got every single advantage. This isn't like Usyk versus Joshua. This is like... Canelo versus Plant. That's that's the kind of gap we're looking at, as far as I'm concerned. Do you think that this fight will have as much fanfare come Saturday? I don't think it will. I I, I don't think so either. I haven't heard a lot of people talking about it. I think the fact that they got postponed. The fact that I think the Deontay Wilder's ravings that are that are borderline, you know, issues with with corruption and insinuating things about race, I don't think that plays too well. I think Deontay Wilder was building a fan base and had some one-on-one, but once he got exposed and then he had that loss, I think a lot of his momentum left. And I think a lot of people want him to win. I even think some people believe he believe he can win, but I, I don't think people who really know the sport, I don't think real, real boxers or real boxing fans think he has a good chance of winning this. The question is, if Fury comes in 100% focused and locked in, he should win this automatically. I don't know any boxer who is actually boxer or boxing coach who's saying Wilder's going to win this. None of them. They'll if, if he wins, they'll come out and say, "Oh, I saw the holes in Fury." But if that's the case, why aren't they saying it loud and proud right now that he's going to come and win this fight? Because nobody knows how he's going to win it. He hasn't shown enough. He he hasn't shown an ability to outbox him. He hasn't shown ability to outfight him. How is he going to win this fight? Fury's already beat you two ways. 
you haven't beat him in one. How, how, what are you going to do that's going to catch him off guard or, or expose him? Nobody can think of it. I can't either. If he if he wins fight through boxing, it'll be one of the greatest upsets ever because I've never seen De- Deontay Wilder outbox anybody for any second of any moment of any round. Never in my life have I seen him do it. All right, sir. I have one other fight I wanted to talk about this weekend, and it is a big women's fight between Mackenzie Dern and Marina uh, Rodriguez on Saturday at UFC Fight Night 194. I believe that's the number we're on. And uh, let me see. Am I right? I think so. I did not write, uh, not write the number down. But this is a big look. fight because Dern is – both women, I feel like, are close to a title shot. Dern's, Dern especially. So – what do you see happening here? Because I, the comparisons to the fight with, um, who's the woman that Rodriguez knocked out? Oh, Amanda Hebus. Yes, I, the, the comparisons to that are immediately going to come out quick because Hebus has a good ground game and um, she plays that same type of style as Mackenzie Dern. But Mackenzie Dern's striking is a little bit more aggressive. I'm not necessarily going to call it better, but it's more aggressive where she tries to get to the, uh, to the clinch and get the fight down to the ground. How do you see this fight playing out for both of these women on Saturday? Rodriguez, the thing that makes her dangerous is she's got a width of skills. She's not great in any area. She's not a great wrestler. She's not a good wrestler. She's not a great striker. She's fairly big. She's got some durability. She's cardio, but she's got a broad range of skills. She will fight you in every area. You get it. There's certain, most people have egregious holes. Somebody can't gravel, somebody can't wrestle. You can exploit them, whether it's through pressure, physicality, or just skill. Rodriguez doesn't have an egregious hole in her game. She has holes, but there's not one place you can take her to where she's going to go purely defensive because she can't handle herself at all. You put her in the ground, like when he was fought her, he was used to pe- getting people in certain positions, and they just quit. They just basically start defending and trying to and give up an arm or something. Rodriguez won't do that. You put her in striking, you can outstrike her, but she's got enough durability and she's got enough of a will and skill set where she can make you have to earn it there. There's not an easy, e- there's no free meal there. That's what makes her challenging because you have to fight her at each and every range. And some fighters only operate best when there's a safety zone where they can rest, take breaks, where they know they can dominate. There's no one area you know you can dominate, except for Duran. Duran can probably dominate on the grappling, but she, she's going to have to earn that. Rodriguez isn't just going to concede that to her. Um, the issue for The issue is... Dern's a much better athlete. Dern's bigger. She's stronger. She hits harder. And now Dern seems to have put some sort of structure to what she's doing. It's not just getting by on aggression athleticism. She's setting her strikes up. She faints. She uses the jab. She attacks the body in the head. She tries to control distance, come behind a jab. She, and it creates openings for her takedown, takedown attempts. Even if she's not getting the takedowns, every time she goes for a takedown, somebody sells out 100% because they're so fearful of going on the ground with her which means you have to commit 100% to getting this bigger, stronger opponent and ripping them off your legs or getting away from them. So you're burning more energy because you're trying to stay away. You're burning energy trying to physically get her off you because you know if she she ends up on the ground on top of you, it's a wrap. We just know that. Most people can't grapple with her. So they spend a lot of mental and physical energy trying to stay away from her. And now that she has the striking to set that up, she can constantly put your pressure. She can slowly chip away at you. And then she'll just use those takedowns is it's like almost using him as body punches. Clay Guida would never get takedowns really clean, but he just throws so many at you, you just tire out from defending him all the time. He'd get close and you'd have to push him off and get away and push him off, get away and grapple with him for a second and push him off and get away. Mentally, it broke you down to where you start being a step slow on the feet. 
and eventually you'd be step slow. He gets you down, submit you, or just pound the hell out of you. That's essentially what Mackenzie Dern is doing. And, un, and uh, unlike Hebas, Mackenzie Dern has been in tough fights. We've already seen her in bad spots, and she's one thing she won't break. She'll keep fighting, but now she has a skill set behind it to find the openings or to create openings to get to advantage advantageous positions. So it'll be it should be a tough fight because Arena's got such a width skill and she's aggressive, but Dern is the bigger puncher, the better athlete, the bigger fighter. I, I essentially think this is a competitive but showcase fight for her. If it hits the ground, Rodriguez can't grapple with Dern. If Dern's on top, she sure as hell can't grapple with her. Um, and on the feet, I feel like she has enough seasoning and experience where she can navigate some rough spots, but ultimately she can't win punch for punch with Dern. Dern's got a better chin, bigger power. And at this point, Dern's got a better structured system of striking. She can answer different questions than opponent poses. Rodriguez is still getting by a little bit on being tough and being well to throw volume, to throw with you. She gets by on being tough and aggressive. She's not super technical defensively. She's not super technical off- offensively either. So it should be competitive while it lasts, but I-, I expect Dern to start separating fairly early in the fight. Who do you think wins and when do they win? Because how I look at this fight, I think if it ends quickly, I'm going Rodriguez. But the longer the fight goes, I'm more, well. Because Dern can submit her. I think she'll have a little bit of a harder time submitting her. I think she'll be able to control position a lot. But if it ends quickly, I, I see a Rodriguez KO. But how do you see this fight going? And when do you see it ending? The reason I'm, I'm kind of curious about the KO because I don't know that Dern's ever been KO before. She hasn't. She hasn't. And when she fought Hebus, Hebus is a pretty good striker. And Hebus was beating on her. And he was she using had, more of a defensive um, game, though. She was she had the ability to stuff the takedowns, and even when it ended up on the floor, she had enough jujitsu abilities. And I say that compared to Mackenzie Dern to separate and get back to her feet. Yeah, but Dern, Dern was like Dern was trying to get those takedowns because she was getting lit up on the feet. Usually, she would just brawl with somebody, but she was getting lit up. I've never I've never known Dern to not be able to handle getting punched. Because she's not a good enough takedown person to avoid getting punched in the face. And Marina, she striker as good as Marina? Let's see. I don't um, think Marina's that good. I don't know that Marina's that good a striker, in, in my opinion. I think she's she she's not like a one hitter quitter, but I think she has like that technique that a lot of women don't have. The the, the crisp shots down the middle, especially when you're looking at someone like uh, Mackenzie, who throws a lot of those looping punches to, to try to close that space. I think she is a better striker than we're, than might be being said right now. She might be, but I, I I don't know. I just I just I just don't know that I buy it. I think I think she might be, but if even if she does, she she's gonna with attrition. She's she's not gonna land one or two big shots and put Dern out. I don't I don't see that happening. The only person she's put out like that is Hebus, and Dern's been fairly durable. So for her to do that, she's gotta land a lot of volume. For her to throw a lot of volume, which means she'd have to be actively pressuring. And if she's going to pressure like that, I don't see how she doesn't end up on the ground at some point. I think Michelle Watterson got her down to the ground. And Watterson's probably a better wrestler than Dern, but she ain't as big, as strong, or physical as Dern. And she damn sure isn't as good a grappler. So if Watterson can handle your power, and she moved up a weight class, and she, she was able to have moments, I don't see how Dern, I don't see how Dern doesn't. Dern's a harder hitter. She's a better grappler. She's stronger. She might not be the wrestler, but if she's setting her strikes up and really setting a high pace, I don't see how Marina's not going to 
provide an opening where Dern's ability is going to be the separator. Because Rodriguez, when she fought Cynthia Calvillo, it was a draw. It was a close fight, but it was a draw. And she's always been one of those fighters who can never really, really turn the corner and be like truly dominant. She might get positioned, she might out hustle you, but she's not really beating the hell out of girls. She out she she decisioned Tisha Torres. She didn't really beat up Tisha Torres. When she fought Random Marcos, who was a superior athlete, she had a draw. When she fought Cynthia Calvillo, who was also a superior athlete, she had a draw. So Cynthia's not as good an athlete as Dern. She fought Carla Esparza. Esparza just bullied her and manhandled her. You know, it's like even when she fought Hebus, she beat her, but Hebus in the first round was having her way with her. Usually somebody has her way with her and they get tired. If Dern doesn't get tired, I don't I don't think she beats Dern. I, I just don't. I'm not saying she can't. I just don't think she does it. That last fight with Michelle Watterson caused me some concerns. And even the fact that Amanda Hebus was, was able to get to her spots, she could have if she was a better grappler, she could have finished her. And and there's just nobody who who la- usually lasts on the ground with Mackenzie Dern for 30 seconds to a minute. That does not happen. So I think she keeps it competitive. I think she'll have her moments. But for her to win, she's going to have to put herself in the line of fire. And even if she's good offensively, she is not good defensively. And Dern's made enough improvements where I think that that and her advantages in athleticism are going to t- tell the story of the fight. Does the winner get a title shot? If it's Dern, I don't think either one should. I think they should fight at least one more fight. I don't think fighting Marina Rodriguez, Rodriguez prepares you for a title shot. I th- I'd want at least one more fight. But it, after the if Dern wins it, they might try to push her into one. I take I take one more fight. If Arena wins it, she's still probably two fights away from a title fight. Am I? Patty, what do you think Dern's chances are against a champ right now? Against uh, Nami Yunus? Mm-hmm. I don't think she gets out of two rounds of Nami Yunus. You think she gets pieced up on the feet? I think she gets pieced up on the feet, and she might get submitted. She might get rocked she's on the feet. Right she well, might. You know what? Let me let me not say that because I'm I, if Hodolfo can get submitted, anybody can. But um, I was I was here getting pieced up on the feet first. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, ultimately that that's what it would be. But if let's say Rose clips her with a clips her with a kick and puts her puts her face down and she's not out, she just jumps on her and submits her. It's possible. I won't say that. I'm not saying it's likely. But I don't think I don't think she's ready. I think she still needs another fight or two to really. Um, to really round in the shape because she hasn't really faced a fighter who has any sort of real IQ or a broad enough skill set to challenge her. She fought, um, what's her name, Amanda Mar- Randa Marcus. Randa Marcus is such a stupid fighter. She fights so dumb. Like it, to be, for Dern to beat someone like Nunez right now, I think she would literally have to run across the cage and get her hands on her within the first 30 seconds and drag her down, drag her down to the mat and then submit them, especially why while they're still dry. She would have to do that right out the gate because anything that's staying on her feet with, with Rose, I think she's in a dangerous spot. Yeah, and Rose is, Rose is a dynamic athlete. Rose is probably one of the hardest pound-for-pound pound punchers in, in the division. I mean, think about it this way. She rocked Jessica Andrade. Jessica Andrade has moved up a weight class, and ain't nobody rocked her yet. Not yet. Not yet. Valentina, Valentina didn't even bother trying to exchange with her. She landed a couple shots, took her down. She, was, she had no rush to exchange with her. That's weird. Girl. You're a world class striker. You, you're not even gonna try your hand at it. You're not even gonna try your hand. That's weird. So those are the two big fights I want to talk about from this week. Let's. We got. We're already running over an hour. Let's hit one last topic. And I want to send a shout out to Jordan Burroughs, uh, who picked up his fifth gold medal at Worlds yesterday, and he has one. He has the most 
gold medals in American history in wrestling. And I think that that really deserves some praise because after being knocked off of the Olympic team this year by Kyle Dick, a lot of people were kind of wondering, is his run over? Is it finally over? But the man still got it. He moved up a weight class and he picked up another win. We were talking about double legs earlier. Uh, I think I've, I've shared some videos of his double legs in the past. And that man just puts his head down and he just runs right through you. Like there's nothing... Not, there's like there's technique about that, but it's still like raw athleticism that just drives you to your back. So I wanted to take a minute to uh, say congratulations to him once again because that guy keeps finding a way to get it done, and he, he's and he's battling against uh, Father Time, but he's he's still getting the job done. I admire that Olympic level mindset. You know, when people take a break or feel like accomplished enough and just leave it there, and he's looking for another challenge. He's trying to find a way to extend that career and. I admire that desire and that single-minded focus because, you know, you get to a certain point where you just dominated, you've been the best, and you lose, and it's like, you know what, I've done enough, so let me just take a step back. And he's, like, trying to find another another challenge, trying to find another mountain to climb. So I, I commend him for that kind of dedication to his craft and uh, just the kind of character it shows to compete like that. I know everybody says, like, every Olympic champion is like that, but there's levels. It's like every NBA player is a great athlete. But there's levels to that, and every Olympic athlete is a great, has great m- mental fortitude and drive and professionalism. But there's also levels to that. He's clearly at the, if not the apex, one of the higher levels of it, even now at the stage of the game. I mean, he was already in the conversation for the greatest American wrestler of all time, and now he's just continuing to find ways to win. What are some highlights from boxing from this past week? Uh, who did fought? Did we even have boxing this week? I don't think so. I don't think we had a lot of fights this week. I think all the fights will be coming up. They got Plant, Canelo, Porter, Crawford. I don't think we had a lot of fights this week. I think a lot of people were just talking about uh, talking about the um, Tyson, the Fury, the Fury Wilder fight, and how and who's potentially going to fight Usyk if Usyk gets past Joshua in a rematch. Okay. Okay. Um, oh, Manny Pacquiao did he? He did retire this week, right? Uh, was that this yeah, week or was that last week? Either way, either way. Yeah, he officially retired, and like I said, the the two names of this this generation, Floyd Mayweather, Manny Pacquiao. He's an all time great. He moved up like seven weight classes and was pretty dominant throughout most of his career. And even late in his career, even though Adrian Broner isn't what he used to be, he still beat Adrian Broner, and he beat the undisputed unified champion welterweight. Um, you know, I think he was inactive, but Thurman had never lost prior to fighting Pacquiao. Pacquiao beat him at like age 42. Um, I'm sorry he never got a chance to fight Spence just to see, have him fight against the best of the division. But even that loss against Ugas, that does nothing to take away from his caliber. You're 43 years old fighting a guy who champions are avoiding and top 10 fighters are avoiding. You're challenging this guy and calling him out. That all that does is add to your legacy, win or lose. So he was a true competitor, a true gentleman. And from what I know, the people who know him, he's one of the most kindest and giving and most helpful people you will ever meet in the sport. So um, I hope he has a great future in politics. And he's done except his kind homophobia, of- huh? except for his homophobia, but that's and transphobia. I, I forgot about the conversation. Yeah, well, you have to bring it up. It's part of it. But outside of that, and I hate to say it like that, but outside of that, I've heard nothing but good things about him. And I wish him well moving forward. He did the sport proud. He gave people the fights they wanted, and he fought the way they wanted. And he, considering the way he lost, that loss against Marquez, to come back after that kind of knockout 
and win more titles and move up weight classes. Um, I have to admire his mental toughness and his 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 love for the fans because he gave the fans what they wanted. They wanted to fight. He tried to make it at every turn at every corner. So uh, props to him and and uh, Boston's gonna miss him, dude. We don't have too many fighters who are just willing to take on the biggest and best challenges at all time, especially nowadays. They won three million dollars to fight a guy who couldn't beat me up in a fight. Very true, sir. Very true. So we're gonna go ahead and close out. And once again, thank you for everybody taking the time to listen to the show. This is episode 219 of the MMA Reigns podcast. I'm Rafael Garcia. You can hit me up at rgarcia underscore sports. And I'm here with Shawan Heem at Black Jordan Breen. So thank you, everyone, for listening to us. Check us out, and we will be back next week. Have a great weekend, everyone, and stay safe. Have a great evening, everybody.